0: Hey everyone, it's Keith here. I'm going to interrupt my own episode here before it even begins, just to let you know that I've decided to break this up. This is actually only going to be part one of the Picky Fingers Jam Survival Guide. What happened was I started recording, got a bunch of stuff down, it's it's really good information, and by the end I realized that I still had so much that I wanted to talk about that I just didn't feel right cutting any of it out but I did also realize that I had enough to make two episodes out of so I I didn't feel like re-recording everything that I had already done so this is me telling you that even though some things that I say in, in a few minutes here later in the episode might sound funny given the fact that it's now two episodes rather than one episode this is me letting you know that this part one is going to cover all of the etiquette and the preparations and the just the the social aspects of starting to jam and what that means and what you can do part two which will come up here in a relatively near future is going to be very playing heavy this this episode right here is going to be mostly just me talking at you and lecturing and giving some advice that way and I guess now would be a good time to also mention that for those of you who subscribe and receive Eli Gilbert's custom lessons there's not going to be one for this one but I promise the next episode which is playing heavy as I mentioned uh, I already have at least three or four pages of tablature ready to go for that so Once we dive into the to the playing aspects of the jam survival guide, that's going to be an intro in how to improvise how to play songs that you don't know, you'll get uh, plenty of things to work on that way. But uh, at any rate, here you go. Here's here's the episode. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, broadcasting from my well quarantined basement podcast studio. Here, yeah, what a what a crazy time we live in, huh? I hope everyone out there is healthy and safe and sane. Uh, playing my banjo is definitely helping me with this global lockdown that we are are all facing. Um, So I hope you're managing to do that too. If any of you are healthcare workers or in any way on the front lines of trying to get everyone's lives back to normal, my hat is very much off to you. I'm very happy to report while knocking on wood that uh, so far I've managed to to weather this storm. My family and I are, are doing well, all things considered. I have had quite a few podcast interviews that I've had to abandon uh, just because of people's tour schedules getting canceled. Midwest Banjo Camp is now canceled. So, it, you know, it's it's had an effect on me, but I'm definitely not complaining. I don't have it nearly as bad as some of the other folks out there who are being even more significantly uh, affected by all this, both financially and and with their health and their jobs situation. I'm also lucky that I I have done enough podcast interviews that I have enough banked at this point to probably get me through the next couple months and whether that will be long enough into the future to get on the other side of this where we can start acting uh <laughs> getting back to our normal lives again I guess we will I guess we will find out time will tell but anyway, we're we're all in this together and just try to help each other out. And once again, I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and sane. Speaking of having to deal with some bumps in the road, the biggest support I get by far is from the Patreon supporters of the podcast. And if you want to check into how to become a supporter of this show, you can do that for as little as $1 a month go check that out at patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Today, I have two special Patreon supporters to acknowledge. The first supporter is named Ralph Mangino. He's been playing for not even a year, but he's taking lessons from Davy Jones from uh, episode one, who he found through the podcast, and I just love to hear stories like that about people who track down some of the, the interview subjects here and either go to see their shows or take lessons. That's, uh, that's what I'm all about is, is connecting people and, and so we can all help each other in that way. Ralph also has mentioned that he plays several other instruments but uh, just picked up the banjo. So as I always say, Ralph, welcome to the club. Glad you finally found the best instrument out there. It took you a while, but glad you're finally with us. The other supporter of today's podcast is Thomas Stensland, and he's from far off in Norway, but he's a big fan of bluegrass and a, a fan of playing the banjo, of course. So, Thomas, to you, I say, Tusen tak, for your support. Did I say that right at all? I looked it up on the internet. YouTube taught me some basic Norwegian right before I started recording. But uh, Thomas and Ralph, thank you guys so much. Once again, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show... Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. The only money this show earns is through the listener subscriptions there. So I really appreciate um all that you guys do in that way. The other ways to support the show are through following me on social media, sharing the episodes. You can find me on Picky Fingers on Facebook. I am banjo underscore podcast on Instagram, and I am at banjo podcast. On Twitter. So you can share those episodes, you can subscribe, you can like, you can rate, you can do all those interactive things that lets me know uh, what you think of the show. You can also contact me with any feedback or questions, anything like that. Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast at gmail.com is the way to do that. And speaking of contacting me through social media, this episode is actually one that I threw to, uh, well, I guess I'll start by saying that. If any of you are on Facebook, you should really look into joining the uh Picky Fingers podcast group. It's a group of the listeners of this show and I try to contribute as often as possible uh to this Facebook group. It's just called Picky Fingers uh Picky Fingers banjo podcast uh fans, listeners, fans and friends. I always get this wrong. But if you type in that, you'll you'll easily find it and I try to accept everyone in if you uh, if you try to join that. But uh, my point being, I I knew I wanted to do some sort of instructional episode for this one, and I threw it out to that Facebook group, and I got a lot of really cool suggestions. But one that stuck out that a lot of people seemed to vote for, as it were, was the idea of doing a jam survival guide. So that's the one I chose, and I think there's a lot to discuss on this topic. So that's what we're going to do today and not only is it a jam survival guide, I actually view it as somewhat of an introduction in how to improvise, but a lot of that is is kind of wrapped up in the jam survival. So I think this will apply to all levels of players because it's not only though for those of you who are new to jamming, but I think it will also offer perspective For those of you who are experienced jammers and might have occasions in which you interact with new jammers and just ways to keep in mind what everyone's going through and the best way to conduct things. So while the irony is extremely thick in this situation of me doing an episode about getting together and jamming in the midst of a global quarantine Uh, We're going to be on the other side of this, hopefully sooner than later, and there's some really good information in here to start thinking about and getting yourself ready, and a lot of the playing tips in particular are things that you can work on, even uh, as we maintain our social distancing guidelines and all that. So here you go. Hope you enjoy it. The Picky Fingers Jam Survival Guide. It's time to survive your first jam, or maybe it's not your first, but it's time to survive whatever jam you're going to, or planning to go to, or aspire to go to, because really that's what it boils down to, is that when most of us picked up this instrument, and this could be referring to banjo, which I assume most of you are thinking about right now, but it really doesn't matter what instrument I'm talking about, when you pick up that instrument, you don't really have it in your mind that you're just going to end up playing it by yourself in your bedroom the whole time. Most of us aspire to be able to interact with other people and play the songs that we've heard other bands that we love listening to play. And a lot of the folk music and bluegrass music has a very strong tradition of people getting together and sharing songs and sharing Music. sometimes people who don't even know each other, and and that's what is colloquially referred to as a jam, is just any time people get together in a somewhat informal situation. And I'm going to go through all of those, but I'm going to start with a personal story of mine and why I think this stuff is so important. When I was very first starting banjo, I probably had been playing about six months, maybe not even that. Uh, I was I was hanging out at Elderly Instruments. A lot of you know that I worked there. This is even before I worked there. I used to go in there uh, relatively often and checking out banjos or CDs or just wasting time and happened to overhear a couple guys who were employees there talking and one had a mandolin, the other had a bass and they were just Chatting, kind of playing around with the same sort of uh, music that I was going for, you know, bluegrassy stuff, fiddle tunes, and overheard them talking about getting together with some people to, to play some music. And I'm not sure if it was the completely polite thing of me to do, but I was, I was so eager to just find other people to share this music with that I happened to strike up a conversation with them and one way or another got myself invited to this jam session that they were planning. And the first real band I was ever in was a result of these weekly jam sessions. The band ended up being the people who just kept showing up to that jam. So this really has positive effects uh, on my upbringing as a banjo player, I guess I'll say. And that's the kind of stuff that happens all the times is that these Friendships and musical relationships get started, and whether or not it ends up being in a, a real band or just a, a regular fun thing for you to do, it's undoubtedly one of the best things you can do for your your musical well being. Just in terms of your enjoyment, but also as uh, as far as your skills go as a player, there are things you learn from being in jams that you are never going to learn just uh, sitting and learning by yourself in the bedroom. So really what this amounts to is that in my eyes, and I know I've seen this as a teacher of of banjo students, is that that bridge that gets you from being just a, a, I guess I'll call it a closet player, to somebody who is out there jamming with other people, that's sort of one of these big steps, one of these rites of passage, this intimidating thing that all players have to deal with. And there's almost always like a certain amount of anxiety around that. So there's really two aspects to jam survival. The one aspect is just the social aspects and the jam etiquette and what do I do if I want to jam? How do I find people to jam with? That's one thing. Uh, And then there's a whole nother aspect of jamming that has to do with what you're actually doing on your instrument and what do you play and, and what are you supposed to do? And I'm going to cover both of those aspects. Um, I'll, I'll start with the, the social aspect, I guess. And I break down the types of jams that you can go to into three main categories. The first type is what I'll call a private jam session. And what this means is that you know some musicians, someone decides to have people over to their house or whatever, and they just invite the people who they want to show up. So in terms of social etiquette and and all that, This type of jam is pretty straightforward. Chances are if you're invited to one of these, you either know the person who is hosting or you're a close friend of somebody who's going somehow or another, you already have some sort of friendship or familiarity with at least some of the players who are going to be there. You are probably more familiar with who these people are, what type of music they're likely to play. And it's overall just probably a more forgiving atmosphere between people who are, again, uh, familiar with each other. So that removes a lot of the questions about going to a jam session. It's pretty straightforward. You are invited. Bring your banjo. When you get there, get it out and, and do your best playing. And we'll cover the rest of that when we get to the playing half of things. Another type of jam is what I will call a public scheduled jam these are things that maybe you would see a flyer for bluegrass jam down at the uh, a park or at a school or a coffee shop where it's designated as a planned jam session but you might go there not really knowing what to expect and not knowing who's going to be there or what songs people will play or what the skill level will be of the people who show up. So that's another category that you're going to hopefully run into at some point. The third type is, I guess what I'll just call the festival campground jam. And that can be probably the most daunting and uncertain in terms of what to expect, because these are the types of, of jams that happen at almost any bluegrass festival. We'll have a, a campground or a parking lot area in which people will have these impromptu jams or if you, a lot of times even at these instructional camps like Midwest banjo camp there will be jams everywhere and and sometimes those are less clear about what's going on or who is allowed to join or what you're supposed to do and that's a lot of what I'll talk about now Lemon. So what is the social etiquette in this situation? In a lot of ways, this can remind me of how it must feel for somebody to be like the new kid at school who shows up in the middle of the school year and it seems like everyone already knows each other and you can feel like you're just wandering around with your banjo looking for something to magically happen even though you don't know how to make it happen and you're not sure what's supposed to happen. Uh, there's just this nebulous idea of that you want to jam and you're anxious to pick but not sure how to make it happen and I encourage you to look at this as as if it's any other social situation whether it's like a, a party that you go to where maybe you have strangers that you're interacting with there's no doubt that there's a certain amount of awkwardness that can be involved in these things but I encourage you to be and this goes for musically as well as just interpersonally. I encourage you to be brave and upfront about pushing yourself to be a little outside of your comfort zone cuz yeah, it is a little weird. So the first way to to reduce this weirdness is to try to find the right fit for yourself. Don't be I you know, I just told you to be to be brave, but don't be too over anxious. What I would recommend doing is, before you try to join a jam, listen to the jam. Try to figure out if it actually matches something that you would have fun trying to participate in. Even even if something is a very traditional bluegrass festival, uh, it's not uncommon to, to hear jam sessions that might be old-time music, or maybe even Irish sessions, or swing tunes or old Hank Williams country songs or even within bluegrass there's a, a relatively big spectrum you could you could get people just playing flat and scrug songs or you could get people playing 10 minute versions of David Grisman instrumental tunes and depending on what your interests are and what your skill level is That's going to make a huge difference on which of these jam sessions might be appropriate for you. So that's the first step is is try to listen for something that is the type of music that you feel like you might be prepared for or interested in trying to play. Uh, The next thing would be matching your skill level. Try to have an honest assessment about what you really think you are ready for. Um, a lot of times if you are a novice or a a beginner, places will have something called a slow jam, in which case there will usually be people just working their way through a song and, and without a lot of pressure, that might be good for you. Or if you're ready to take the next step, it's okay to maybe focus in on a jam session that is slightly above your skill level, as long as you think you're, you're up for the challenge and, able to, to have the energy and concentration to try to keep up with the people who are a little bit better than you. That's a really great way to push your skills. Another aspect of choosing a jam session that is the right fit for you might have to do not only with the skill level of the, the participants, but also the instrumentation. You could look at this in a couple different ways. In one respect, maybe you find a jam session that does not have a banjo player yet. If you are maybe a little more confident in your skills, maybe a, a solidly intermediate level player, and you feel like you can follow along with most bluegrass tunes, that might be a golden opportunity because a jam session without a banjo player who has a banjo player walk up, that's that's a good opportunity for you to be a good fit for that situation. On the other hand, if you are less confident in your skills, you might prefer to have a jam session that maybe already has a strong banjo player in it. And that's a good opportunity for you to see what that person is doing and learn a lot by by watching them. On the other hand, some of these jams end up being a little out of control in terms of maybe they'll have three banjo players and 10 guitar players and four fiddlers. And it's, it's more of a a social event than maybe a really fulfilling musical one. But the the positive things about that situation is there's a lot less pressure when there's a, a big crowd of musicians all playing the same song together that creates some cover for you to to be a little more experimental and and it won't be as big of a deal or even noticeable at all to anybody if you don't know what's going on or if you make a few mistakes that might be a situation you want to think about and of course the opposite is true if that group that didn't have a banjo player yet is just three people sitting around playing music they're going to hear what you're doing and that can be really great musically But if you are really not feeling confident in your skills and it seems like the people who are playing are already at a level above you and might expect somebody to match their skills, then that's, again, what I said about being honest about assessing your own readiness for that kind of situation. Say you have happened upon a jam session that seems really interesting to you. The people seem really nice and laid back, and they're playing songs that you recognize, and they have about the same skill level as you. This seems interesting. What do you do now? This is when I encourage you to think back to what I said about treating jam sessions the same as you would a social event or any, any other sort of social gathering with uh, people that you may not know who you're trying to have a conversation with. I I hope that any listener of this podcast would know better than to just barge in between two strangers who are having a conversation between themselves and just start talking about yourself or talking about something else or trying to interject that's just, it's just rude and it's not polite and it's not the way to gain favor with people who are potentially new friends of yours. So this is where a bit of the bravery that I encouraged before takes place. And I'm somebody who is generally a bit introverted and, and shy by nature. Definitely not a super outgoing guy, but what what you're going to do is wait till this jam session finishes a song Wait for an opportunity to get the attention of one of the main players in the jam and just be really straightforward and ask them. Say, hey, I'm looking to do some jamming. Is this an open session and is it okay if I pick a few with you? Or something to that effect. Now, at this point, of course, you ha- you are being very straightforward and it's okay if maybe they say no. You never know what the situation is. I have been in the situation where... I'm in a band and we have a set coming up at the festival and we're trying to rehearse and somebody shows up and starts playing along with us. And that's not their fault because it just looks like a, a jam session from where they were. But from our perspective, we were trying to work on material. So in that situation, it was totally okay to just have to tell somebody hey thanks for uh thanks for showing up but we're this is actually a band rehearsal right now. Maybe we'll be jamming here later after our set or something like that. but this is another one of those pro tips about why you listen to the jam for a little bit before you try to join it. oftentimes, if it's a band rehearsing for a set, you're going to know maybe the music is a little too polished maybe. You hear actual discussions about how to arrange the songs. If you're in a jam, nobody really cares after the song is over uh, who was getting what harmony part or, or what the transitions were because that song's done and they're just on to the next one. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor Deering Banjos, who want you to know that banjo teachers love good times. In a recent survey conducted by Deering, over 200 banjo teachers were asked, how likely is it that you would recommend the good time banjo to your students? An overwhelming 85% responded that they would, with the number one reason being that good times are easy to play. Even good time ambassador and 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, Kristen Scott Benson agrees that you will not find a better banjo than this in the price range of the Deering Good Time. With the Good Time Banjos, Deering understands the importance of starting out with a banjo that will help not hinder your banjo learning experience, which is why they make sure that each and every Good Time Banjo leaves looking great, feeling great, and sounding great. For more information and to see exclusive videos from Good Time Ambassadors Kristen Scott Benson and Pete Wernick, head over to DeeringBanjos.com slash TeachersLoveGoodTimes. But anyway, I digress. P- chances are, if you, if you follow the steps that I, that I said and ask politely if they are allowing other jam members to join with a banjo, chances are they will say yes, at which point you just wave to everybody and introduce yourself and tell them that they sounded great and on to playing music, which will be the next portion of this episode. One other helpful hint in terms of finding a good jam to get involved with these days with social media, a lot of times you can make connections before you even go to, I'll just keep calling it a bluegrass festival. I I know it could be any number of different situations, but let's say you're going to a bluegrass festival. You're going to want a jam. If you're on Facebook or something like that, chances are there's an event page for this bluegrass festival. And it would be really cool if you posted in that event page, say, hey, this is me, I play banjo, I enjoy this type of music, I am an intermediate level player, is there going to be anybody else there who might want to meet up and try to play some tunes with me? That is the the perfect situation and perfect way to meet people because chances are you are looking for a jam session, there might be a whole bunch of other people out there who would be really good uh, musical partners for you who are also just too shy to to insert themselves into those situations. And if you do a little bit of legwork ahead of time, that can be a great opportunity too. And then at least you, going into the uh, situation, have a little bit of rapport with some of these people who maybe you've chatted with online and arranged a a meeting time or a way to get in touch once you're actually at the event that can help a lot. The last thing I want to talk about in terms of the social etiquette of jam sessions is flipping it around on on you people. So far I've been describing the jam session situation from the perspective of somebody who's maybe not quite as as confident, maybe they're a new player or just aren't up on the the whole situation with with jam sessions. If on the other hand you are a person who does have some good uh reliable pickin' and friends and and you get together and jam at festivals and you have an easy time, maybe you're a more experienced musician, think about it from that person's perspective. In other words, if you see somebody around your jam session who's kind of just hovering and they don't look like they know what to do, uh whenever possible, try to say hi to them. If you, if you feel so inclined, please invite them to participate to your jam. Just think about what would make you comfortable when you were in that situation. That's more or less what that person wants is just to be acknowledged, offered a spot. If that's, if that's okay with you, try to be generous about that in my experience, half the time, the person doesn't even want to participate. They're just having fun, fun listening, but try to be inclusive whenever possible and, and welcoming. Don't be that person who turns your back on somebody to, to exclude them from the, the jam circle. Um, just because maybe they don't know the song or they don't know you and your friends already. This might be the most important thing I say this whole podcast, but it's something I think a lot about, especially as I interview a lot of the professional players. Now, a lot of these pros grew up with the banjo. I'm thinking of someone like Sammy Sheeler, who basically didn't have a choice but to be a banjo player. But for a lot of the others, they can remember the specific experience of hearing some local person play the banjo or they were over at someone's house and they just happened to hear a record and they still all these years later remember that experience so when you are a person in a jam session and you invite that new person in to to your circle you never know what effect that's having and especially if it's a young person you don't know if that young person is going to go on to be the next B.B. Bowness or Ryan Kavanaugh or, you know, whoever, you, you have no idea what kind of turning point uh, that type of open invitation and great experience is going to have for somebody who isn't confident enough on their own to be able to participate. And just that extra step to make them feel welcome can really have a big effect on them. But at any rate, I am here to help you be as prepared as possible for going to these jam sessions. So the preparation actually begins ahead of time. And the things that you can do ahead of time to make sure that you're ready to go into a jam session and and be successful and play as well as you possibly can, the first step in that is to just make sure you physically have the things that you need. By that, I mean... Make sure you have a capo. Most of us rely pretty heavily on a capo when people are changing changing keys all the time for, for different songs. Make sure you have yours. Make sure you have a tuner. We've all seen those tuners that clip on the headstock. They're relatively cheap to purchase at this point. So whatever kind of tuner you you choose to use, that's obviously an essential piece of equipment there. Have an extra battery or two or three or four for your tuner those always seem to die at the most inopportune times and it's nice to be ready for that. Obviously the other essentials such as a strap for your instrument and all your picks and an extra set of strings, stuff like that so that almost anything that's going to happen you will be you'll be ready for with uh, whether you're standing or sitting or if you break a string or lose the picks that are in your pocket, you'll have an extra set. Those are just good all-purpose preparation tips for not only jam sessions, but just playing in general. And, and definitely, if you ever start performing professionally, you are going to have to take all that even more seriously. But it, it all starts now, and that's the best way to be prepared. And if you want a varsity-level bonus tip, here's something else that could really help you out. In addition to your own capo and, and strings and everything like that, at times, I'd have to check my case to see if I still have it right now. But I've made a habit of carrying a guitar capo with me because you never know when you might be the hero of the jam session when that guitar player forgot his or her capo, and you're in a position to to help that person out. So if you have room in your case and you have an extra guitar capo or an extra guitar strap or an extra set of guitar strings. That stuff really comes in handy. You might be surprised at how often things like that come up. The other things to make sure you have, especially if we're talking about that typical example of an outdoor bluegrass festival where you might be jamming into the evening, into the night, into the wee hours of the morning. Make sure you have a warm enough set of clothes. Make sure you have bug spray. Nothing is worse for your playing than having to take your hands off the instrument every few seconds to swat away the mosquitoes that are flying around your face. That's really terrible. So just those types of things, thinking ahead, um, you know, it's the same mentality as going on a camping trip or going on any other trip where you're packing your luggage and trying to consider all possibilities. Uh, This is no different, and those types of things that let you concentrate on the music are only going to help you be more successful did did So that's a list of the the physical items that will help you be prepared. Now on to the more musical aspects of of how to prepare yourself. One thing that I think really, really helps all musicians is, and this isn't as simple as just grabbing an extra set of strings, if if at all possible, learn guitar chords. And even if you're not playing guitar yourself, if you know how to identify by looking at a guitar player, whether their hands are playing a G or a C or a D chord or most of the the other commonly played chords... That is really going to help you, especially in situations where you don't know the song. That's going to be one of the keys of jam survival is to find somebody who seems like they know the song, who you can follow along with. And oftentimes that's going to be a guitar player. And so being able to recognize those chords without requiring that person to shout the chords out at you as they're playing... Uh, that's that's really going to make things go a lot smoother, and it will help you in just millions of different situations. I can't even count how many times I would have been completely lost, but for the fact that I do know guitar chords, and I know how to tell by by looking at a guitarist's hands what chord they're playing, at least for, for almost all of the, the basic ones that we find often in bluegrass. From a purely musical skills standpoint... I would really try to make sure that you have a good grasp of your basic roll patterns. And if you need brushing up on those, I would advise you to go back to my episode number five, which is the Right Hand Boot Camp. I do offer a tab sheet with that that has what I consider all the basic roll patterns. Try to brush up on those and be able to change between uh, your your typical chords. So definitely like your G, your C, your D, and if possible, add in like F, E minor, A minor, some some of those other really common ones. And not only that, but be able to change between them without stopping. And by that, I mean, if you're doing a roll pattern and we're in open G right now, if you have to stop to get your fingers into place to start playing that C chord, then that's that's not something that's going to be compatible with jamming exactly because the, the jam is not going to stop and wait for you to change that chord. So that's something to really make sure you focus on. And if you don't quite have that, then that's a situation where you're going to be looking for one of those, what I call the slow jams, uh, which is made exactly for people who are still trying to work their way through some of those basics and is a much more forgiving atmosphere for something like that. If possible, I would say you should at least learn all of your roll patterns, be able to have those at um, at least a medium tempo, and if possible, learn all of your chords and all of the inversions of those chords. Uh, it's a little beyond the scope of this episode to teach you the chord inversions, but I know I've touched on that in a few of the different episodes. I know in the episode number two, Jim Mills, I touched on chord inversions a bit. Um, that's something to look into. That's really going to help you. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of loop back to this uh, when I get into some basic soloing techniques. But I would say that's kind of the the minimum for being able to really participate fully in a jam is to, to know your basic roll patterns and know your chord shapes. The next level of preparation for an aspiring jammer would be actually work up a a piece of your own, and I don't mean an original song. I just mean that typically, uh, and I guess this goes back to jam session etiquette. Typically, what happens is if you are participating, before too long, somebody's going to ask you, "Hey, why don't you uh, choose the next tune that we play, or why don't you sing a song if you're a singer?" And although it's not necessary to have something ready to go, it is kind of a cool project to try to make yourself prepared with a specific song or maybe a a banjo tune that you can feel the most confident in. Because as I I said, a lot of these jam sessions, you're going to be filled with songs that you're unfamiliar with, or maybe you're familiar with, but have never played before, and you don't know the chords, and, and you're just kind of struggling to to keep up and follow along, it's a good opportunity to be in a position to choose the tune and maybe choose something that you think you sound good at or that you are the most prepared out of any of the tunes. So the way to do that is to just think about what you've been practicing the most. Maybe you've been practicing a certain song or or Cripple Creek or something like that. And this is where it's a real helpful hint to to point out that you don't know Cripple Creek if all of you, all you know is those are all the parts to Cripple Creek. But if, if you are bringing a tune to a jam session, that means you should be able to also teach it to people who maybe they are in your position with respect to the other songs that you don't know, it's helpful for you to rely on people to tell you what the chords are. And I guess that's a long winded way of me saying, if you're learning a tune such as cripple Creek or old Joe Clark or anything like that. And if you don't know the chords to that tune, then you don't really know the tune, the chords and the backup are just as essential, perhaps even more so than knowing the melody and same thing with songs. Let's say you're learning uh, On My Way Back to the Old Home, and maybe you know the words, maybe you know how to sing it, maybe you even know the banjo kickoff, but if you don't know how to, again, show someone what the chords are, then you aren't fully prepared to bring that to the jam session. So those are good things to think about if you if you are trying to prepare one or two or three songs that when it comes your turn to choose the next song to jam on before you suggest that, make sure you really are are comfortable uh, performing that. And here is another one of those examples of thinking about the new jammers perspective. If you are one of the veteran jammers in the jam session, try to try to offer and be encouraging of the new jammer to to be able to choose a song that he or she might be more confident in playing or or teaching to the group or just be willing to slow the jam down a little bit if you think that's what it's going to take for this newcomer to be just a little bit more comfortable with what's going on. Of course, they might just pass and say, no, they don't have any songs, and and that's fine too. But you never know what's going to happen. I'll, I'll tell a little story and this is a, a total name drop, I, I realize this, but um, I was fortunate enough to get in a jam session with uh, Abigail Washburn. A lot of you know her. She's married to Bela Fleck now, and she's a world-class uh, banjo player and performer. But this was way back in like 2002 or 2003, definitely far before anyone knew who she was and before she was performing professionally at all. And I was jamming with a bunch of people, including her, and she was relatively shy. She was sitting back there playing some good clawhammer banjo. But at some point, one of us said, Hey, Abby, why don't you sing a song? And she went ahead and sang a song and opened her mouth, and Abigail Washburn's voice came out. So you never know what people are capable of, even if they are maybe standing toward the back of the circle or acting a little shy or... Just because you haven't seen them around doesn't mean they can't uh, really impress you with their skills so even as a veteran jammer that's part of being a good participant is to give everyone a chance to do what they do and uh, try to shine doves will mourn in sorrow doves Another thing I highly recommend becoming prepared to do at a jam session is to be able to take notes. and of course these days taking notes usually just involves sending yourself a text or an email or something like that on your phone. Uh, but th- this can be incredibly useful. this is this is a good way to, for example, if the group plays a song that you really like, uh, a good way to, have a record of what that song was, because chances are, after you've slept and played for a few hours, you're not going to remember the name of that one song that you really liked. You know, you have to be tactful about it. Of course, you don't want the whole jam to stop just for everyone to explain to you what the the title of the tune is. But whenever possible, if you hear something that you like, ask what the name of the song is. Ask who wrote the song. Ask if there's a specific version that most of the players are are playing, and that allows you to have some homework for yourself as you go back, and that's especially important if these are people who you have a feeling you might be seeing around more often. If you know that there are certain songs that these people like to play, that makes you a better jam participant if you can show up prepared to play those songs that you know that they play. That's just being a good participant and... Even once you get into a a serious band, if that's something that you're looking to do, that's the kind of preparation that makes a good band member. Another really common but very useful thing that you want to be prepared to take notes on so that you can remember for later is somebody might suggest, and this is especially typical if you are staying within your geographical area, Somebody might let you know about other jams that are happening in your area or other festivals that you should check out. Typically they'll say, you know, you should be showing up on the second Saturday of the month at this coffee shop. They have a a bluegrass jam and you would really like it. That's important stuff to remember, and that's the way to make connections and get to know people and get yourself out in that world a little more if that's something that you're looking to do. Last but certainly not least... Uh, Be prepared and try not to be shy about asking people for their contact information. If you're really uh, finding some musical partners that you're getting along with and and you think you're all having fun, chances are they're having fun too. And being able to stay in touch with those people is a really great way to try to make sure that you get invited to some of these private jam sessions or get called with Information about other things that, that might interest you is just getting your name out there and starting to meet the people who you're going to want to be around to, to play music with. What have they done to the old home place? Why did they tear it down? And why did I leave the plough in the field and look for a job in the Before I wrap up here, I want to address a few other questions that I had on that Facebook group. A couple of you asked about what are the most common songs to play at a jam and what are some good books in which to to find lyrics or or music for the most common songs. And that's that's a pretty tough question just because like I was describing in listening to each jam and the fact that each jam has a different character in terms of the types of music they play, I guess in general, most of if, if we're talking about a bluegrass festival jam, that's kind of the the theme of this show, I guess you really can't go wrong. If you, if you're listening to, I don't know, just like the, the greatest hits or, or some sort of favorite collection by most of the real huge groups out there, we're talking Bill Monroe, Flatt and Scruggs, the Stanley brothers, Jimmy Martin. Uh, the bluegrass album band is fantastic to get into. Not only because of the playing you get to hear JD crow. Um, but they, they, they don't have original material and they tend to compile a lot of the really well-known songs. So if you just kind of study up on bluegrass album band songs, those are almost all fair game for any sort of good, uh, bluegrass campground jam but for every one of those types of jams you might find a a group who everyone's more into the more modern stuff and they're playing blue highway songs and lonesome river band songs and and stuff like that so it's anybody's guess really but you really can't go wrong with those classic favorites uh in terms of books i know there is a book called the bluegrass fake book that has a whole bunch of uh, song lyrics in it. I, I haven't used that too much. I'm unfortunately not much of a singer and you should also be aware of those are good resources, but more often than not you, you aren't going to have the ability to use a fake book. So I hate to recommend that too much for fear that it might become a crutch for you, but that that's a definitely a good reference guide are these uh, bluegrass, fake books, bluegrass song books, um, I know there's several out there, and I'm sorry that I don't have a real specific one. And the last thing I want to talk about is jam busters. jam busters. is a term, you know, we're talking about song selection here and what are the most common songs. A jam buster is kind of the opposite of that. That's a song where if someone chooses it, it's too complicated and no one knows it. Often people will try to play... Maybe they are original songs, in which case nobody is going to to know them in the jam session. You usually want to have at least a good, solid core group of people that can uh lead lead the way for other people to follow, or if somebody is in a traditional jam session and they're calling out Chris Thiele instrumentals those that's some great music, but you're gonna leave everyone behind if you're the one calling calling out for that stuff. Of course, there's always exceptions where there's some really highly advanced players who, who are into that stuff and are comfortable playing it. But for the most part, those kinds of songs are considered jam busters. And please resist the urge to to do something like that, even if you really want to show off some real fancy new, new piece that you've been working on. Uh, the Bluegrass Jam is not the time to do that. That might be more of a topic for when you have some, some closer-knit group of musicians that are willing to, to work on some material with you, whether it's your original song or a more complicated piece like that. So that's going to wrap it up for part one of the Picky Fingers Jam Survival Guide. I hope I didn't bore you to death. I did a ton of talking, but this is all really important information, and either way, I promise that part two is going to be chock full of really good playing tips and some good advice on how to start cracking the code of, of participating in these jams and what to actually play to branch out out of your comfort zone a little bit. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again to Ralph Mangino and Thomas Stensland. Those are the Patreon supporters of today's episode. You can become a supporter of the show by going to patreon.com slash banjopodcast and Feel free to email the show at podcast at gmail.com. And of course, I hope you are all doing your very, very best to keep yourself and everyone around you safe and healthy. Be sure to support independent musicians in any way you possibly can. Uh, so yeah, everyone take care of yourself. I'll try to keep you company real soon with the next part of the Jam Survival Guide. And that does it for me. Over and out.